3: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We talked about the Empress of Ireland this week, Um, a particularly sad shipwreck story. Um, it's a dark week for
3: Stuff You Missed in History class. It was a
1: dark, dark week. Um, we just minutes ago recorded the behind the scenes for our other gruesome murder episode of the week. And when I, I knew this was a sad shipwreck, something about it just being everyone drowned in the cold and the dark, I was like, ah, this is extra sad. And that is one reason why I did not put a sad cat story there's two reasons why I did not include the sad cat story in this episode. <laughs> one is, I found it in one source, and I was like, mm, is this real? And the other was it just was too sad. So, I'm going to give the sad cat story. okay? But then I'm going to follow it with a funny cat story. That sounds great. Uh, so, sad cat story is that in this one account that I read, the the ship's cat was named Emmy. And Emmy jumped off the boat in Quebec City and somebody found K- Emmy and brought her back and Emmy left again um but left her kittens on board no! and right
3: um
1: and the ship left without her um and uh later people were like this was a terrible omen um it does seem that way and i was like that is so sad on this already very sad episode And also, I found like this. I couldn't find confirmation of it. I mean, if I there are lots and lots of survivor testimonies that you can read, like firsthand accounts, uh, stories that people have submitted of like their relatives who were on board, things like that. Um, I, I just I wasn't able to confirm that. So the sadness plus not being able to confirm it. Here is the funny cat story. Um, my cats don't get on the keyboard. That much. But in this case, Opal has a contribution to this episode that I am going to read to everyone. The Empress of Ireland left Liverpool for a routine trip across the Atlantic on May 15th, 1914. That is what Opal would like everyone to know.
3: Yeah. Also likes to add a little now and again to episodes, and I try to correct them. But sometimes (laughs) there are stray letters.
1: Uh, That that I don't think I even did it entirely justice. It's it stretches the the whole width of my screen. Another thing, uh, as I was putting together Saturday Classics uh, for upcoming episodes of Saturday Classics, I realized we have another episode we have already done uh, on the SS Arctic. That episode came out January 15th, 2014, so that may sound familiar to longtime listeners of the show or people who've been working their way through the whole back catalog. Uh, Holly, I think you wrote that episode. I had no recollection of it existing. Uh, It is very similar in terms of ships colliding and uh, a lot of people uh, then not surviving the wreck. Uh, But it was not a case where the ship uh sank so quickly right it wasn't po- th- that was a case where the ship took a while to sink but the evacuation was chaos um and i did not pick that as a saturday classic because i was like no this is too much too much sad to have another to follow <laughs> right to follow this with a uh, a separate sad thing about the same general yeah. topic I'm really glad you
3: did not include the cat story because I think we all know I'm not emotionally tall enough to ride that ride. Yeah. Had we actually had to talk about it in depth. right? I don't really remember much about that other episode either.
1: I mean, I I, I didn't remember it at all. I literally was going through the list of old episodes and was kind of like, SS Arctic, what was that about? Is that something we should run as a... And then I read the synopsis and I was like, did I write this? And then I listened to the first five seconds. I think we've said this little inside baseball moment before whoever talks first in the episode wrote it yeah um i can't
3: think of any exceptions we've had to that i
1: i don't think so but uh yeah you talk first on that one so it's like i did i guess i didn't write that this thing that i have no recollection of from almost a decade ago
3: yeah it's a long time and i i we have said this before too like we don't retain everything
1: no, we really don't. And I, whole episodes. Finish. I have
3: sometimes felt bad when someone, like at a live show or an event, will ask a question about an episode that's like five years old, and I'm like, like I don't know. Uh, <sighs> I, I'm, not, I'm not from your country. I don't know your <sighs> ways, and I just kind of run away and hide. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, the brain, some things stick forever. Yeah, some yeah. fly away into the night. Yeah. And, like, Tracy, I think we've both had that moment of, like, did I write the episode? I wrote yeah. this. I don't remember
1: this yeah, at all. I've definitely had whole episodes that I wrote and I don't remember. And I, I for a long time, thought this was just the nature of our jobs. That, um, you know, we are writing a new episode every week. and, And, like, we have to mentally move on to the next thing. That's the only way that it works. But, for some reason, the TikTok algorithm has decided that what I want to see when I look at TikTok is clips from old episodes of Grey's Anatomy. I think I watched one of these once, and TikTok was like, all right, this is what you want for the rest of your life. And it has showed me so many clips of Grey's Anatomy that I have absolutely no recollection of at all. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the opposite. Uh Uh-uh. Well, I mean, sometimes it's stuff that I do remember vividly, but, like, uh, so much stuff that I have no recollection of at all whatsoever uh, and I've seen every episode of that show. So it's like, I know I saw this episode, but I don't remember that there was one about a person with toxic blood and everybody passed out in the OR. Just totally forgot. Had, did not ring any kind of bell.
3: <laughs> I think I might sadly be the opposite. One of my friends offhandedly mentioned while we were at dinner the other night, an episode, an older episode of Bob's Burgers. And I was just like, right, because then this and this happened. I could see where that, and she was just like, when was the last time you watched this episode? I'm like, I don't know. Um But you've seen it more than once, right? I have. I also have okay. flypaper in my brain if it relates to like Bob's Burgers, older episodes of The Simpsons.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: uh, You know, certain... I mean, Star Wars, obviously, um, certain Disney things. Like, there are definitely things where I'm like, I have no no valid reason to have retained this information for so long, yet I don't know where my keys are or how old my father is. Like, I... Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, but so anyway, that's everyone's update about our memories. Uh, yeah, this episode was very sad. Um as many of the shipwrecks, but not all of them, are. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption.
2: We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish.
0: Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, sorry the week started out dark, but then we got to talk about Mary Somerville, who I think yeah. is a delight.
1: Yeah, we um often, but not all the time, we record two episodes a week, and those are the two episodes that come out on a week together. Yeah, this is not the case. That was not the case this time, and we had recorded a recording session that was just sadness all the way through. <laughs> um And... So, those episodes did not come out in the same week, Monday and Wednesday, but, like, we were sort of talking about how there needed to be something a little lighter.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually had not intended for Mary to be that thing, mm-hmm. but I was kind of bottoming out on the other thing I wanted to do, because I felt like I need more time for that one. That happens Because um, there's yeah. a book I want to order and, like, you know, all of that stuff. Um and then I stumbled across Mary, not on my primary list, but on, like, another one that I had hand-scribbled in a book while I was looking for other stuff. And I was like, wait, let me revisit this. And I was like, oh, I love her. Um, so she's perfect. She, her memoir is a really, really delightful read. It is notated a lot with her, her daughter Martha's work, where her, she won't talk, like, she doesn't talk, as we said in the episode, that much about her husband's death. Mm -hmm. But then um, Martha notes, like, of course, my mother was bereft. And like, it's more evident when you see the letters that other people wrote her saying like, I know your world has just fallen apart, essentially. Yeah. Like, please know we all love you and we're thinking of you. Um, but she, I mean, it came up also when she mentioned the passing of their other daughter that she didn't ever seem to hover on that stuff. She would just say it and be done and move on. And I think mm-hmm. that was probably part of how she mentally compartmentalized that while she was doing other things. Like, sure. I'm not, I'm not going to wallow in this moment. I'm going to acknowledge it and move to the next thing. Um her writing she mentioned in in her writing towards the end that she didn't like to sleep by herself ever mm-hmm. and this is something that um she wrote about in various points during her life and i she wrote about it so poignantly um, from the point of view of childhood, that's the first time she remembered really being upset by the idea. And I want to read this passage because it's really like the best description of what that feels like when you're a scared kid mm-hmm. um, in a not scary way because it has distance on it. So I'm going to read this passage, which is, uh, quote, "'Children suffer much misery by being left alone in the dark.'" When I was very young, I was sent to bed at 8 or 9 o'clock, and the maid who slept in the room went away as soon as I was in bed, leaving me in the dark till she came to bed herself. All that time, I was in an agony of fear of something indefinite. I could not tell what. The joy, the relief when the maid came back were such that I instantly fell asleep. Now that I am a widow and old, although I always have a night lamp, such is the power of early impressions— that I rejoice when daylight comes. Which is just such a, I'm like, oh, I I, I know this. I know all mm-hmm. of this. Like, I'm I'm that kid that had night terror. So I'm like, I have the same thing. Like, when I can't sleep, daylight breaks and I conk right out. I'm one mm-hmm. of those people. <laughs> I'm like, Mary, I feel you. Um, <laughs> I really love the idea that she was, we mentioned on an episode we did recently that there are autodidacts who become experts in their field and she is such a strong example of that where she's like oh no I get it I figured it all out I love it's easy to think in our hubris of the modern era that one like people doing science in the past were much simpler in their understanding than we are and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to include that Longish excerpt from her paper about how she did her needle magnetism experiment because she's so clear about everything she's doing. Mm -hmm. And it is not simple stuff, even though it's like the components of it are simple. But her, like, talking about no, we managed, like, with the prism to continually move the needle so that the end only stayed in the violet light. And that's like, I love all of it. I love the way she talks about science. She's like the the precursor to Bill Nye and demystifying science. She's amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, and like being a science communicator is a specific set of skills
2: mm-hmm. that has
1: overlap with being a scientist, but like not all not all scientists are great science communicators for sure. Uh so yeah, I don't I don't know if we have ever talked about somebody on the show that, like, I would have categorized specifically as a science communicator. Yeah. Which I love, because there are some science communicators in my life who are dear to me, that I love what they do and how they do it. And so having this sort of uh, historical counterpart, going back earlier than a time that I think I've really thought about science communicators, it's great. Speaking of which...
3: There is a thing that I have seen people bickering about in various corners of the internet where sometimes you will see a little factoid about her that says she is the reason the word scientist was coined, Hmm. which isn't entirely accurate. It gets misconstrued a little bit because it was coined in a, a, a review of her work that included some other stuff, that was written by um William Wool who we talked about briefly uh where he's kind of it, it's it's prompted by her her work but it's a lot of people are like because you know uh there was no gender neutral way to talk about somebody who did science mm-hmm. and that's that would sound great and it's a cool thing to think about but that's not really what happened and so it's kind of a false description of what was actually going on because he was really like, we don't have, uh, he wasn't so much separating it as like bisexes He was like, we just don't have a good word sure. for a person who does science. Um, you know, we know what a mathematician is and we know what a chemist is and we know what a, ma- a naturalist is and we know what an artist is, but we just, we need, we need a word. <laughs> and so that's the first referenced in writing the word scientist that we know of but it's not quite the the feminist effort that sometimes people mm, want to make mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. it's still very cool but just not quite accurate so i we only touched on a few of the people that she knew but she knew everybody yeah she knew the brownings she tells a very funny story in her book about the first time she met elizabeth barrett browning and elizabeth barrett browning kind of ignored her and then she meets them later again in Italy. And she's like, she's a completely different person. I love her now. Like, it's like I don't know what was going on at that earlier event. But, like, now it, now she's great. Um, funny. She also knew Joanna Bailey, who we talked about recently on the show, uh, for her writing and the confusion about her initial anonymous work. Uh, she knew... Everybody. Everywhere she traveled, she met the scientists in that area. Everybody wanted to meet her. Everyone wanted to know her. She sounds like she was a very good hostess. People love to drop by her house. And she and William were uncharacteristically for the time casual about people just stopping by. You did not have to send notice ahead of time. You could just pop in and they would be like, All right, let's put out a spread. Um and we'll talk about science and have some cognac or whatever. I don't know that they had cognac. I'm just throwing that in. Um but i she her life sounds so great like the yeah. way she lived her life i mean the good fortune to have a pension that basically sets you up for life mm-hmm. based on your pretty early work and to be able to cultivate that life that you want the one thing that i kept thinking while reading her memoir though the thing that i would struggle with in her life is the constant bouncing around yeah like i need a nest I need a nest feathered with my weird stuff. I need my sewing room. I need my, just perhaps a, an indicator of my own problems. But um, they would just live in a different place every couple of months. Yeah. And that, that sort of nomadic lifestyle, to me, sounds like I would feel weird. But I think her home was in books, so she didn't care. She could carry them. Mm-hmm. Uh, But yeah, it's just, it's always like, and then we moved to Florence for a minute and then we were back in Rome and then we decided we'd go to Sweden and hang out for a while. And then, and they had two daughters with them through most of that, which is extra wild. But that seemed to be the way their family worked and they all seemed very happy and close. So yeah, yeah. Could not, could not fathom it. I, um now that I have done this research, I really want, there to be a movie about her. Like a good one though. Not you don't you don't need to make it dramatic any more so than it is. You can just mm-hmm. make it a cool movie about a cool lady doing cool things, hanging out. Till she's 92, she's still doing her science. Yeah. I love everything about that. I love it. I love the idea that she's like, well, you know, I read in bed I read math in bed for four hours when I wake up and then mm-hmm. I go do my writing elsewhere and then I walk around the town and then I Have supper. Great. (laughs) (laughs) That does sound great. Living the dream. Mary Somerville. So I'm very glad we got to talk about her this week. Um, I hope that if this is your weekend coming up where you have actual time off, maybe you sit in bed for four hours doing whatever you want, watching TV, reading books you like petting a cat or a dog just hanging out being happy if you can uh if you don't have time off and you don't have the luxury of several hours to sit in bed uh, i hope that you still have a great time this weekend we will be right back here tomorrow with a classic and then on monday with a brand new episode